why is size so important? I mean, obviously size matters. Welcome back to Ready, Set, Workflow, a show about how to actually get things done in business, software development, startups, and life. We are your hosts, Tosh, Katie, and Caitlin. And on today's episode, we will be talking about team size. So before we start talking about team size, we will get started with a question of the day. So today's QOTD is what do you currently have on your keychain? So Katie, I'm going to ask you first. I feel like you might have the best answer. Right now on my keychain, I don't even have a keychain. Um, so I have a code to punch into the door of the Airbnb that I'm staying in. So there are no keys here. I do have a magnetic card to get into the front of the building. And then I punch in a code to get into my actual apartment here. That one's new for me. I don't think I've ever been completely key or keychain list. Wow. Yeah, that's exciting. Caitlin, how about you? What do you currently have on your keychain? Mine's pretty boring. Just a house key, a mailbox key, because the mailboxes are far away from my house and a car key. And that's it. Pretty simple. I do remember my high school days when I had like 15 keys and like all these keychains. I don't know what, what doors these 15 keys opened, but I think every high school girl in the early 2000s had like a million keys on her keychain for some Odd reason. Was it actually keys or was it more keychains themselves? I think it was a mix, honestly. Again, wow. don't know what doors these keys opened, but I feel like we, we also had like, you know, the big lanyard type things because I don't know why. <laughs> and then we wondered why our backpacks weighed so much. Yeah. So Blame it on all the books, but it's it really the five pounds of keychains <laughs> that you had. Exactly. We've really minimized since then. Try a keypad. It's um, it's a freedom. Yeah. I just walk out of the house. Don't even look back. Amazing. All right. On my keychain right now, I currently have a fob to get in and out of my building and a key to my front door and a mailbox key. And then I also have my yoga studio membership pass. I think those are the only things I have. I don't have my car key on it because it's giant and I only bring that with me when I'm obviously going to drive my car. So I don't have it on my keychain, which means I lose it like all the time because it's usually right where I remember to put it. And I assume I never put any of my stuff away properly. So that is what I currently have on mine. I do have one separate keychain, which has a key to my parents' house and a bottle opener on it. just in case exactly exactly that is what is on my keychain so great answers everyone I knew Katie was going to have a good one though I was I was actually asking it selfishly because I wanted to know the answer to it (laughs) 
Yeah. Ask me next week. It might be different. Seriously. We never know. Awesome. Cool. So today we're not just going to talk about what we do or do not have on our keychains. We are also going to talk about team size. Specifically, we are going to talk about scrum team size. Obviously teams can mean a million different things. And I'm sure we all feel like we're part of multiple teams, even within our own company. So today's topic is going to just be more specific to our scrum teams, who makes up a scrum team, why is size so important? So yeah, this, I don't know if anyone has any thoughts right off the bat. Agile itself recommends team sizes from like three to 10 people. And there's probably a sweet spot in there somewhere, but that is kind of the recommended range. Yeah, I agree. I think it's somewhere around that, which is really a giant range when you think about it. True. A team of three and a team of 10 are very different teams. Right. And I think that they're specifically just talking about the software developers in that, right? I think they exclude the the other roles of product manager, scrum master, or something like that. I agree. And once you kind of figure out how many developers you're going to have on the team, the other roles probably fall into place a little bit. You know, if you have three developers, you probably don't need 10 QA members. So it all kind of cascades from that. Same with, I guess, designers. And if you have like a business analyst or whoever else. Totally. No, I agree. Obviously the number of developers is probably going to impact all of the other roles. Maybe we could talk really quickly as to who should be attending what meetings from your team too, just as a way while we're talking about teams, you can understand exactly the context as to what that means and who would be attending what meetings or ceremonies you may have, what roles we view as optional and what roles we view as mandatory on a team. So I think that developers are obviously mandatory. And then you ideally, I think would have a product owner, a product manager. I think that those roles are non-negotiable. Other people I think would have different opinions than that. But for me, those are the two types of roles that you need to be able to properly refine and manage a product backlog and deliver on stories. So maybe we can start with that. Perfect. In prepping for talking about this and just thinking through all of the different sizes of teams and whatnot. Same thing with the scrum. I I believe they say three to nine or three to 10. And then I've also heard the two pizza rule. And then I've also heard the seven plus or minus two is the ideal size. And it's, it's all around these numbers and being the math nerd, I found a couple equations that help support the reasons behind keeping teams small. So there's two that I can share with you there and the descriptions behind them. And then also, I think there's a lot of factors besides just numbers that impact the team size. We could probably get into talking about some of those as well, just making sure that it's a well-balanced team, things like that. So what are the other factors that kind of contribute to that? But starting with the numbers, because I'm very excited about that. Something that was brought up was the equation around how many relationships are created, depending on the number of people in a team. 
for example, the more people that are in the team, the more relationships or the more links that are formed. And so what was really interesting is if you have a team of five, there's 10 links that are formed. But when you increase the team size only by two team members, it actually increases the links or the relationships by over, it over doubles it. So it increases it to 21 different links and relationships. And then when you increase it again to nine, it doesn't actually double it. It goes only to 36. So when I was looking at that, there was a bigger jump between going from a five-team person team to a seven-person team than there was going from a seven to a nine, which I found interesting. The biggest thing I think from that was just how many different links or relationships have to be managed with the number of team members. So I thought that that was really interesting and we could talk about why the more amount of links, the downsides of what happens there. I know from a conversational standpoint, it's hard to talk with that many different people and have that many different people. But from a code perspective, I imagine on the tech side, that also could lead to a lot of different conflicts in code. So wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that if you're as excited about that equation as I am. Love the math as a uh, math major, former math major. (laughs) No, that was great and super interesting. I was thinking about the code also. So talking about our team, because I think we have a bit of a unique setup. We have two scrum teams that work on the same code base, which is a little tricky in my opinion, um, just because you've got two different teams. We split our teams or we split stand-up by team. So we have one stand-up for team one, one stand-up for team two. But since it is the same code base, everyone's in the same refinement meetings, which is probably unique where if you had different products, like a, a web app, an iOS app, and an Android app, you know that would be a really nice logical team split. But if you've got one code base, you kind of have to figure out, all right, well, who attends what meetings? what meetings get duplicated and what meetings does everyone need to be a part of? Yeah, I think that that's actually a really good point because we are unique in the fact that we have our teams split as to the backlogs that they're pulling from and the work that they're doing. And we try and keep their themes separate. So hopefully there's not too much overlap as to the actual code being written, but we do have to share other meetings between those same teams so that everyone's aware of what is currently being worked on or what will be coming down the pipeline, especially when we will switch epics between teams, maybe priorities shift and one team is better equipped to handle priority A, we then have to potentially move what was already priority A to the other roadmap team for them to work on. And I think that that it's almost like our teams are a Venn diagram. Is that the right diagram math majors? I was not into math. So got it. Still got it where they are two, you know, circles that are separate, but there is that overlapping part and that will just be the refinements and the reviews the sprint reviews or sprint demos so that both teams can see what the other team has been working on and delivering and they're aware, but we do have separate uh, retrospectives 
for each team. And it's very interesting. I run both of them and they are usually very different, even though they're working on the same code base. It's very fascinating. Yeah, that is interesting that maybe that says that retro is more about the relationships, <laughs> not necessarily the, you know, lines of code that people are writing. Yes, I agree. What is your guys's ideal team size? For me, probably, I mean, as a developer, like five is great. I think developers prefer lower numbers. Um, I think, you know, right now our teams are, we have one team that has eight developers, maybe seven, and the other team has 10, which, I mean, it is a lot. And I think it's hard to keep track of everything that's going on. And it's hard to write um, user stories that aren't going to cause a bunch of merge conflicts, especially for us, since we have two teams in the same code base. Um, so I think that's our biggest challenge is we, we have larger uh, scrum teams or on the, the larger end of the recommended range. So for me, yeah, like five, I think. Yeah, I think five is probably ideal as well from a product standpoint. It's a lot easier to manage. I think that all of the ceremonies or meetings or routines run a lot smoother when you only have such a small team. You know exactly what's going on. You have insight into it, even if you're managing from a product standpoint, even if you're part of maybe one or two or three teams. But if they're that small in size, it's still easier to manage than a larger team. Tosh, I don't know. How do you feel on the product side? I, I'm actually surprised you went with a small number, to be honest. I, and this is just a selfish product move, 100%, is I think a team of seven or like a little bit of a larger team is more ideal because it gives you more flexibility. It does require more product work. I will, I will say that. So it is slightly selfish, but it also does require more out of your product team to be organized ahead of time and be well ahead of your development team's work. But it does give you that little bit of flexibility because never have I ever seen a roadmap that stays intact for a quarter even. And even with a very mature product, the chances of something coming up and having to pivot within a three-month span, I think is so high. And then if you can kind of work to layer those in, maybe not focusing the entire team on it, but you just have that little bit of extra bandwidth with a couple developers extra in my mind that can help alleviate the like business pressure and having to completely pivot your team to this top new priority that may or may not be validated. And I'm not trying to throw business under the bus at all. I think, especially working in a startup, but really in any environment, you get a lot of outside pressure, whether it's directly from your business or from your sales team or, you know, your marketing team who might need certain things. It's just, it's really, really hard to manage all of that with a small team without then sacrificing other work that may be equally important. And also having to pivot that frequently can, can really dampen team morale, I think. Because they, I've experienced this where developers don't like getting 80% of the way done with something and then having to basically shelve it and wait for another day. And so if you just have a little bit of extra bandwidth, I think you can buy yourself a little goodwill with the business and the development team 
but it is a little bit selfish and a little probably not hundred percent agile, but I have never claimed to be that, nor will I ever claim to be that. So I think that that makes sense, but how do you know if your team is too big? So real quick before that, what I like that you just brought up, Tosh, is that when you asked me the question around ideal team size, I looked through the lens of just the team, my ideal team size, mm-hmm. not really in the reality of what actually happens. And your response was more focused on not just what is your ideal team size in this ideal world, but also how how can you actually put that into play and how are we putting it into play today based on, right, all of those things, all of those outside factors that we know are going to come in and impact. We know we're going to have to pivot. We know that things are going to pop up and you're right. If, it, if you're only five team members, maybe that's ideal when you're not having priorities that switch or customer requests that come in that take you off of that. Maybe it's ideal for a team that actually has a very specific roadmap that's not going to be interrupted. Now, does that actually happen is the real question. Show um, me that I don't team, know that, show me that roadmap. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. And so I think it was really important to highlight what you had said, because it's not just, it's so much more than just what's your ideal team size, right? It's the makeup of the team. It's how the business is functioning. It's what actually works for you. Because I could sit here and say, I want four different scrum teams of five people with four different product managers and one's focused on this and this and this. and whatnot, but what is actually, that's the, the ideal situation that we've put on paper and the plan we've put on paper, but where actually are we as a business and what, what can we do functionally with the team that we have? So I just really liked that response because it was more around uh, reality versus some of the ideal. No, I mean, no, that's a good point. I think I was thinking of my ideal situation for reality. It's, kind of easy to figure out when your team is too small because your backlog just grows out of control. And I've very rarely had to be like, we need less people working on this. But how do you know when your team is getting too big? Because I think that tends to happen more frequently where you see this, there's a lot of work coming in. And so you want to onboard, you want to hire. And at what point do you see that, you know, ROI kind of start to go down? There's a few things for me um, where you kind of start to get that red flag feeling. One is bugs in the system, for sure. Um, If it starts to, obviously you're always going to have bugs, but if it starts to feel like, why do we have so many bugs? Or like, how do we not catch this? Um, Or, you know, two people were working on this code and there was some weird merge conflict and some bad stuff got pushed. I think that's, you know, a signal that maybe things are getting too big. People aren't communicating enough. Maybe QA is not keeping up um, with all the different changes or, um, you know, things like that. So for me, that is definitely a signal to, to look at your team size. A good point. If your meetings are going really long, So if your standups are taking over, you know, the 15 to 30 minute mark, I think that that's a good indicator. I also think if the team is unable to come to an agreement or at least understanding of the path forward. So if in refinements, let's say there's too many different estimations or there's too many different conversations and you're just not able to move forward with the meetings. 
I think that that's a good one. Also in your retros, if the, maybe some of the issues that are coming up are issues that, you know, I think the retro can give you some really good insight into the types of issues that are coming up. And if they are related to, wow, if this team was smaller, we probably wouldn't be experiencing this type of issue. That could give you some insight as well. Yeah. I also am curious, and this is just something that I've been thinking about the past couple days, and I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on it. What happens when your team runs out of stories in the backlog? Does that mean that your team is too big or does it mean that product isn't far enough ahead? Or, I mean, and I think both things can potentially be right. This would be a great QOTD except for it's work-related, but I think both that both answers could be right. But what happens when you are basically running out of things for your team to work on that are high value? Yeah, I think if it's if it happens one time or every once in a while, it probably means, you know, product didn't come up with enough stories or, you know, we misestimated and we need more things went faster than we planned. But I think if it's consistent, you know, consistent, like, hey, there's nothing in the backlog. Hey, we need stories. Then you have to think about whether your team's too big for to support, you know, because you can't just hire and hire and hire and you can't necessarily just hire more product managers um, because again, it's, you know, it's one code base or potentially one code base. So the number of stories that product can produce is not infinite. So yeah, I think one time is fine. Probably, you know, no need to make any rash changes, but if it's consistent, think about maybe the team is too big. Yeah. I think it's easy to say, to respond and say that it's product, product is not ahead or the business isn't ahead. The product's not ahead. Caitlin, what you brought up is a really good point is that if it is consistent, then it probably is a indicator that your team is too big. And I don't know that I had ever thought about it in that way before until you brought that up right now. I just agree that that's a, it's an indicator that the team's too big. And it's also related to this idea around you don't necessarily get the productivity just by doubling the team. Um, You don't get double the productivity and it's something, the other math equation that I found as I was doing some research on this related to team size was the pressure of the business always wondering how can we get more out of the development team, right? This is something we constantly run into and always the argument is let's just hire more. Let's just hire more. Let's just hire more. Okay, well, you have four developers. If we have eight developers, are you going to get, you know, twice as much productivity or how much? If we double the team size of the team, do we get double productivity? I found this computer architect and his name is Gene Amdahl. And Amdahl came up with this law, which is especially true for software. And I love it. I'm going to share this with you guys. I'll ping you guys right now and we'll share it with our listeners, um, because I found this graph really interesting. And so what he shows here is that not everything can be worked on in parallel. So if everything could be worked on in parallel, and I think Caitlin, this speaks to what you brought up and same thing, Tosh, is that, you know, we're going to have too many merge conflicts. We're working in the same code base, things like that. Now, if everything could be working in a different code base and with different, you know, without any of these merge conflicts and things like that, and everything working in parallel, then sure, 
going from four to eight is going to equal double the productivity. But the you know real fact around this is that not everything can be worked in parallel. Some things have to be worked on only one at a time. And so you have to wait for the next thing or the thing before it to be done before you work on the next thing. And so what he shows here in this graph is that he has a, there's a specific math equation where you can enter these things in and you can get this number around how many things are, can be worked on in parallel versus how many things have to be worked on one by one. And it relates to the team size so that you can go back to the business and say, you know, if 80% of the things can actually be worked on in parallel, then here is the result that you're going to get. Um, so you could see on this that if 80% of the things are worked on in parallel, then sure, when you go from, you know, if you want to double it, if you go to two to three, then you'll get actually double the work as compared to one. So if you have one developer and 80% of it can be worked on in parallel, then at three developers, you can actually get double the work. But from going from one developer, and if you wanted four times, then you actually have to hire 16 developers to get four times the productivity that you have with one. And that, again, is assuming, which is way more idealistic than actually possible, that 80% of that can be worked on in parallel. When we think through our business here and where we're at, especially working out of that one code base, we're probably closer to... I'm not even sure the 40 or 50% mark. And so you could see here that to go from one developer. And if with that, you want to get, you know, twice the productivity, it's, <laughs> you actually have to hire, you know, a bunch, a bunch more developers to get twice, to achieve that twice as much. So the ROI at some point, you know, you don't get that ROI that you're looking for. So I can't wait to go back to the business. And anytime they ask us for, getting more out of the development team, just showing them this graph because it's pretty interesting. And I think it also speaks to just the, that ideal team size based on whether you can work on things in parallel or whether they have to go one by one, it helps you kind of plan out the team number size based on what you're actually trying to achieve there. I love this. I'm putting it in my folder on my desktop that is all of my actually useful images for Scrum. We've all seen the circle with the arrow and the other circles coming off of it. It kind of looks like a decapitated, or not a decapitated, but whatever, a Van Gogh, Mickey Mouse situation, like with one of his ears cut off. But this is actually a useful image. Um, yeah, just to kind of show how doubling your development team does not double your productivity. So I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Does right? anyone I was happy, yeah. happy I found it. And something else that we we had to make a decision, and Caitlin recently made this decision around is it actually beneficial to hire more right now or just to use the team that we have? And I think that also speaks to team size and just really making those strategic decisions around where your business is, what the goals are that you're trying to achieve, and does the focus on the team right now that you have. The productivity of that is more beneficial to achieving those goals than hiring or onboarding right now, because we all know that takes up a certain amount of time as well. And what Kaylin recently decided with the development team that we have right now is for the next extended period of time, it's better that we just stay heads down focused on what we're working on than trying to onboard to achieve some of these things. And I think that that's a really important view to take 
as a team leader and being able to have that decision-making skill to, to really see both the big picture and where the business is headed and where the team is at as well. Totally. Right. I think on the flip side of that, you know, as you're thinking about, okay, maybe I do have too many people, I need to break this up, or, you know, we can't really hire anyone else right now because we can't have more developers in the same code base. We keep kind of harping on that. Um, You know, there's always architecture decisions that you can make to alleviate that where, you know, we've talked about this many times is breaking up the code base. How do you create, you know, more projects that are separate from each other that work together where, you know, they'll have less dependencies, no, you know, there won't be merge conflicts. There's obviously architectural ways to solve these microservices is the buzzword we all know and love. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's not an impossible thing to solve. You kind of have to weigh your options. You know, are you willing to re-architect things in order to get more developers or is it kind of heads down, just power through, which I think is where we are right now as a, as a young startup, you know, we don't have the, we don't have the luxury of uh, re-architecting and breaking this stuff up, but obviously, you know, a more mature product or a more mature company would probably have that as an option as well. Definitely. Awesome. Cool. Does anyone have any other like last minute thoughts or takeaways? The only other thing that I thought we should talk about is rotation through teams. You know, we've, we've worked together at a few different companies now, and we've, we have rotated developers through scrum teams. And we've been in situations where we don't rotate, where you stay on the same scrum team. So I did want to touch on that and get your guys' thoughts. Are we, are we pro rotating or AKA switching teams periodically, or is it better for developers to stay on one team long-term or indefinitely and not move around? I think it has to do with your, your team and right. These teams should be self-organizing. If you have team members who express interest in switching teams or working on other areas of your application or learning other skills, then I think it totally makes sense to rotate. It usually comes, I think, with more senior developer or more experienced developers who have a pretty solid understanding of the application as a whole. They probably have a passion for exploring other languages or something along those lines. But I do really think it is team dependent. I was a huge proponent of it and thought it was one of the most important things you can do right now for our teams. I think that having a stable environment needs to be prioritized because They are still learning a lot. We're still learning a lot about where we need to take this product. So there's just so much up in the air that it's really hard to rotate people effectively. I don't think you should just rotate people to rotate people for the sake of it and to get into the habit of it. I think you have to have a pretty experienced team with the desire to push themselves in order to implement a kind of rotation. The only other way I could see it is potentially if you had a specific team dedicated to working on bugs that came through, rotating people on and off of that, or some type of firefighting where someone needs to be on call in specific hours, then you need to do a rotation because putting people on bug duty just seems inhumane. Other than that, I think that the team will help guide that decision-making process for you. Yeah, I agree. I think it can be, yeah, good for the couple of things that you mentioned. Number one, 
it could be good for morale. You know, you want to mix things up or you've got this super fun project that just started or a new project and you want to, you know, give everyone a go at that or give everyone a month or two to participate in that. And then the other thing aside from morale is maybe, yeah, you have like a firefighter or a bug rotation where, you know, you need one person to not be working on stories and just responding to high priority customer fires throughout the day. You probably don't want that to be, you know, someone's full-time job for years and years on end. So yeah, I agree. I think it's it's beneficial in the right setting when you're a young product or a young company. It might not be the best because you 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 know you lose a little bit of productivity rotating long term. It's probably better for the health or the mental health of your team, but in the early days, it might not be as feasible. You guys nailed it. I agree <laughs> with everything you said. Just like Tosh said, I was a huge proponent of it thought this is how it should be for all of the benefits and reasons you guys just laid out and, and just as you're going through and, you know, really getting to know your team and doing the assessment and things like that, you really just have to put it through that, that filter of where your business is right now. And, and I agree that where we are right now, it's the way that our team set up is, is best that we don't currently rotate. The only other thing that I was going to bring up here is that something that we have heard and maybe we just hear it in refinement when they want to refine things separately as front end and back ends. I've also heard teams wanting to split into a front end team versus a back end team. And so just kind of going back to not just the size of the team, but also the roles that should be on the team and then what the team should be. The team should be cross-functional. And so that also speaks to a team actually getting something done that is of value and can be delivered. And if you were to split into front end teams and back end teams and work on tickets separately like that, you cannot deliver those tickets at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I agree for our situation, which is we're building a web application. So we have back end developers and front end developers. There might be situations in the future where we have, you know, just an API team that's just cranking out back end API endpoints. And maybe they don't need to work with different front-end teams, but for where we are now, and if you're building, you know, a web application, it's probably best that everyone's in those same meetings and everyone's on the same page where, you know, at a humongous company, maybe there are situations where you would split that up. But yeah, I think it's team by team and like, it doesn't make sense for us right now. And it probably doesn't make sense for a lot of modern day web applications. Agreed. You have to be comfortable with the pushback on that. We've gotten that in retrospectives that the, that the teams want to be separated, that they want to do separate refinements. And you have to just remind the team that if only the front end is done or only the back end is done, it doesn't actually provide any value to your end users. And balancing the team wants with the goal of delivering value as quickly to your the users of your application, it's that balance, but this is one thing that you do really have to be confident in that if you need both teams to work on a story to actually deliver the functionality, it has to be done together and you just have to be okay saying, saying no and standing up for that. It's okay to say no. You don't have to yes. always say no. It's not dare over here, but <laughs> you have to say no sometimes. Amen. Awesome. Cool. Does anyone have any like takeaways or thoughts about what our listeners could 
implement with their teams or even maybe not even within their teams, but within their own personal workflows to maximize their teams? I think it's really just understanding what you're trying to achieve with this team and understanding each person's role and and what they bring to the team and just making sure that you have a good balance of expertise within the team so it's not too heavy one way or too heavy another way. And also that the team members get along. If you get to the point where you do have to split your team, just make sure that you're splitting it in a way that also lends to team morale and doesn't take away from team morale. Yeah, good point. From the dev perspective, the developers are always going to be looking at, you know, how many people can realistically be in this code base before the code needs to be split or we've got to reduce the number of people in here. So just, you know, keeping an eye on merge conflicts and unnecessary bugs that seem like they could have been prevented is a good takeaway for the devs. So I guess if your product and all you're doing is writing bug stories or low value stories, your team is probably too large. All right. We'll provide not just the takeaways that you learned here today, but also if you need some data to back it up, there's these math equations that we can share, which I think can help the argument with the business and also figuring out just how to split the teams. So thanks everyone for listening in today to our team size podcast. We hope you enjoyed our discussion. If you did, feel free to leave us a review or share this episode with your friends. You can also check us out on Instagram at Ready, Set, Workflow. And please don't hesitate at any point to give us some topics that you would like us to cover. We're always looking for some ideas. Feel free to drop a comment or reach out on social media and we'll see you again next week.